Hey, welcome to How to Write a Novel. Been a little while since I've done an episode. So I'm not in my hometown anymore. I'm back in Montreal, but last time I was here, it was uh, the beautiful summer. I've come here for the last couple of summers, and now it's the winter, and it sure does feel different. <laughs> but yeah, this is where I'm on my way to Japan, very gradually, because my friend Brad is there doing a language course. So it's, uh, you know, if I was ever going to go to Japan, this is obviously the time. But uh, the last time I, really the only time I ever did international travel was like a little over two years ago when I went to Amsterdam and uh, I had fun while I was there with my friends. But then once they were gone, the culture shock really started bearing down on me and I just bailed out. It was a really kind of open-ended trip. I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll go to London. Maybe I'll go to Paris. I didn't do shit because I just felt this horrible stress and pressure every day that it really reminded me of uh, the stress I used to feel in school. Like, it's just weird. It's like, holy shit, I haven't felt this in decades. And now I feel it every day. So fuck this, I'm getting out of here. And this book that I'm writing now, this novel, the titular novel of how to write a novel is about that experience. That's why it's about aliens trying to get along with each other. You know, metaphorize the situation. But this time I'm definitely a lot more prepared. I think I have a much better expectation. Because I don't know, before I really, I didn't plan out my trip very well and I just, uh, it's just like, let's just go become a citizen of the world. Let's go become an amazing traveler. Let's just go fucking do it. And uh, that was, uh, I just didn't have enough experience or preparation for any of that. So this time it's quite different where I've got everything planned out in advance. I've got all my flights, all of my places that I'm staying, everything all sorted out. All I got to do is just show up at the right places at the right times. And my only plan... I mean, my plan before was like, I don't know, maybe I'll never come back. Maybe I'll just travel the earth. No wonder it didn't go well, you know? Where my plan this time is just keep doing what I'm doing. Just go to coffee shops, just work on fucking shit that I'm working on. Just do it in different places. Much more of a baby step kind of feeling. So I think it's going to go better. But I still didn't want to dive right into Japan. So uh, I'm going to Amsterdam next week, going back to Amsterdam to kind of like ease in, you know? Because that's a city, at least I know the layout. I know how all the transit and stuff works. Everybody speaks English like really commonly. I want to build up a little culture shock armor and then go into the deeper waters of going to Japan. That's my plan, we'll see how it goes. But hey, if it all fails, I mean, sometimes these bad experiences can be great. I mean, like I said, this whole novel is based on how awkward and weird and difficult it felt to travel by myself in a different country. If that experience had gone better, I wouldn't have all the, the seeds and the, uh, this little passionate fire in my belly for this, this novel. Because, you know, to stick with a novel for two straight years or whatever it takes to write a novel, you really got to care. There's got to be some emotional core that doesn't go away and that you can easily access. And that trip definitely gave me that. It's cool too that uh, I started having this notion way back like 10 years ago when I lived in New York. I moved there for a year. 
and it burned out on me real fast too. That was, I guess, my first hint that I have trouble adapting to other societies. But I didn't really realize that at the time. I didn't see the whole scope. I thought I just didn't like New York. But I think the reality is that I only am comfortable in Canada, you know? Which isn't so weird, you know? It's like, it is where I grew up. It's where I know, I know all the unspoken rules of Canada, you know? I know all of them. And even if you just go as far as the States, it's very different. People act different. People have different expectations, different uh, lines that they're willing to cross as far as, you know, politeness and shit. And it just, it just throws you off. It just feels weird. And then in Amsterdam, people weren't rude per se, but way more collective-minded. And that's just not how we are in North America and it's very weird and it's just tough. And this is what I presume I'm gonna find everywhere I go, is everywhere's gonna be just weird in some way. And I just gotta learn to uh, figure out how to deal with that, <laughs> you know? But I realized while I was in New York, it was so expensive there that I, I realized, especially once I, once I clued in that I wasn't really enjoying it there, I'm like, geez, you know, for the price this costs, I could live in a different city every month probably including the flight, you know? <laughs> like, it's expensive to be in New York. So that was an idea that I had, but that I never really uh, pulled the trigger on. I've moved quite a bit within Canada, but it's, you know, obviously international stuff is just a lot tougher. But in the ensuing years, you know, the internet has just gotten better and better, more and more convenient. And with stuff like Airbnb, like, it's just cool to learn how basically how easy it is to do travel stuff now. Like I got this really, I think I mentioned, but I got this really cheap flight to Amsterdam that goes from Montreal to Reykjavik to Amsterdam. So basically you just, you, you know, you hop on two unpopular flights instead of a popular direct flight and it's real cheap. That was like $250. Amsterdam itself is expensive. There's no way around it. Even the, the Airbnb I got is still like $40 a night and it's not close. It's really far. I got to go to the end of the subway and then walk for like an hour, but that's fine. Whatever. I don't care. But I was surprised it was so expensive. I mean, man, even the expensive cities, usually you can find like a $30 a night place, but not Amsterdam. The place is fucking tourism central. But then uh, the flight from Amsterdam to Japan, not as cheap, it's like 550, but that's still not too bad. And it's cause I'm going through Moscow, same philosophy, you know, just two less populated flights combined. And then in Japan, oh, it's great. I got this place. It's only $24 a night. That's so awesome. That's cheaper than Toronto usually is. And granted, it's like a, a 10 person sort of dorm situation. I just got like a little bunk bed with a, a curtain around it and the place has no uh, kitchen. But I very rarely use kitchens in Airbnbs. I just go buy something out in the world, which I'll be particularly interested to do in Japan. And in that case, I think it could be good to be less private. You know, if I have any travel troubles, there'll be people around. I think it's gonna be cool. But yeah, just surprisingly affordable. If it's one of those things that you were always like, hey, I wish I could go to Japan or whatever. It's not as expensive as you might have expected. These flights are all one way, by the way. I haven't got my exit plan figured out. But anyway, that's what I'm up to, but uh, 
The topic of the episode is, of course, the same old, same old. My favorite topic, but I got some more thoughts on it. So yeah, my favorite topic of uh, the slow but steady work ethic. Doing a little bit each day, but being consistent. Because I guess the, the main idea is if you're... Uh, if everything's firing and everything's going great and you're being super productive and you're getting a bunch done, that's great. But that's not a plan for success. That's a plan for eventual failure because no one can keep up that kind of pace. You know, things just change in your life or change internally. I'm not saying nobody can work super, super hard every single day for 40 straight years or something. But I don't think that's natural, I don't think that's normal, I don't think that's healthy, and I don't think that's fun. I think for most people, that's an unrealistic goal. Like, that's just just setting yourself up for failure and just, like, being disappointed in yourself when you can't keep up the pace. And that's when your project will just slip away, you know, just, uh, you kind of don't really notice. You just take a day off, and then two days off, and then two months off, and then two years off, and, you know... Whereas if you have a smaller daily goal, you can really stick with it even if things suck, you know? Like, that's, that's I guess, what I'm trying to say, is you shouldn't plan a long-term project like writing a book around your best days. Like, all right, if everything goes great and if I can have my best day for two straight years, that's all I need, because that's not going to happen. No one has their best day for fucking... You're lucky if you have two in a row, <laughs> you know? I think the bedrock, the basis of the project, of the plan, has got to be, what about my worst day? What can I accomplish on my worst day? If everything is getting away from me and everything's falling apart, I can still get something done each day. What is that? What is that amount? And then plan everything around that. And if things go better than that, great. But if they don't, you're still okay. You're still going to make it to the end, no matter how slow and how long it takes. And you won't be just like beating yourself up for failing because you had weighted yourself down with these expectations that aren't realistic. So this has been a pretty great example of that is I haven't done an episode of this show in about a month. And in my last episode, I talked about how this, uh, how happy I was with this one chapter I wrote. Like, I laid it all out, I figured it all out, this pretty pivotal point in the book. And I got it all figured out, and I was like, that's awesome, I fucking did it. And I was just talking about how, uh, you know, you shouldn't aim for the end goal. That's not the point. You should uh, enjoy the moment, enjoy the process. But when I mentioned that I finished that chapter, like, I didn't finish it, I just plotted it out. I just figured out where it was going to go. I had my rough notes. I still had to actually write the whole thing out. And it went insanely slow. I didn't really notice right away. It's just, again, like, things were just getting away from me, of, like, all this planning for travel was preoccupying me and sort of stressing me out. Being back in my hometown was preoccupying me and kind of stressing me out. One of those things I didn't notice as much till I left, you know? It's like that little catch-22. It's like when I first left, it's kind of lonely. I'm like, oh, I'm not around people anymore. I'm not seeing people anymore. 
I'm in Montreal where I don't know anybody, I'm just by myself. That's a little bit of a weird feeling to just set off away from everybody. But then as that thought settled down a bit and I got a little more used to being on my own again, that's when I started to realize all the stresses and pressures of trying to deal with your family every day, you know, how those are gone. And I was like, oh, that's better. But in all this, I was really not getting very much writing done. Like, it wasn't a distinct decision that I made. Mostly I just started drifting toward other projects. God damn, I'm like stuck in the snow. I don't know how to get out of here without fucking, oh, getting snow in my shoes. Yeah, like usually I would leave the house with just my little portable, little Android phone in my pocket and just do writing. But I started bringing my book bag as well. And I would start the day by working on different sort of audio visual projects and then squeeze in some writing at the end of the day. And this happens sometimes. I remember I mentioned this last time I was in Montreal that uh, like I would just get work done right at the end of the day on the subway home. You know, this just happens sometimes. It's just like the natural flow, the natural kind of rhythm of how things go internally for me is that sometimes I just don't put writing first. <laughs> sometimes it drifts a little bit. And I was getting so little done and it was going so slow that I even started to sort of notice a little bit. Something in me was like, am I going really slow? Like, what is going on here? This seems very slow but not enough to really examine it. I just continued along doing what I was doing because I got very little done each day, but I always got something done each day. You know, I still didn't miss a day. So I was still just grinding away. And then all of a sudden, kind of out of nowhere, without me realizing it was about to happen, a few days ago, I finished that chapter. And I was like, oh shit, look at that. <laughs> I fucking finished that chapter. And that's when I sort of looked more closely and I'm like, wow, that really did take a long time. That took at least a month, maybe a little more, where I had previously kind of figured out that my average is usually more like two weeks for a chapter, two and a half weeks. So that was very slow, but whatever, who cares? Like it was kind of cool because it was almost like I was on autopilot. Like my brain was just somewhere else. You know, my brain was on other things. I was not focusing on this novel. I was not focusing on writing. But I've established such a good habit, such a good routine, that even though it was only a little bit each day, I still kept going. I didn't stop. And it took twice as long, but I still got the chapter done. So like I was saying at the top of the show, like that's what I think is really valuable. It's not the times that everything is going great. It's how well do things go when you're not even paying attention, you know? When all of your attention is pulled somewhere else. I mean, again, I've said this many times, but this is a definite example of a time where in the past, I would have just stopped. I would have just fallen off this project without really realizing that I had done it. I would just justify it to myself somehow, like, ah, well, this is just weird. I'm back in my hometown. I got a plan for all this travel. This is just a weird time. Let's just put things on pause for now. And then I would have put them on pause forever, <laughs> you know? And those aren't great justifications. Those aren't great reasons. It's not like I fucking had a house fire or a death in the family. Uh, they're really nothing, but they would have been enough to justify stopping. So yeah, what I think is just really great and really awesomely, uh, <laughs> just like 
robust about this plan. Like that's the, again, another like catch 22 of like, it sounds like, like I'm not asking much of people, you know? It sounds like I should be like, ah, crack the whip. Get all these words done every day, right? For this many hours a day. Take it serious, blah, blah, blah. But I think those are all just, that's all just a path toward failure. Like this gentle approach, this easy approach is the stronger approach, I think, because it's so unshakable. It's so unwavering. It might go really, really slow. It might just be one tiny little drip every day, but it eventually adds up. Chapters still eventually get complete. And most important, the chain didn't get broken. If I had just stopped writing a month ago or two months ago or three months ago, now to try to pick it back up, it's like, fuck. Now I gotta fucking rebuild this whole thing in my brain. I've gotta reconceptualize this whole fucking endeavor. I've gotta convince myself that this is something I can do again. I've gotta convince myself that this is important. Even just purely from a structural standpoint, I've gotta try to remember where I was at and where I was going and how the tone was and how things felt. And all that stuff is way harder than it sounds. But if you never stop, the chain doesn't break. So yeah, I guess we'll continue to uh, monitor this plan as truly bad things happen. You know, if I fucking end up in the hospital or one of my parents dies or something, I guess we'll see, those will be the real tests. But it doesn't have to be a big test. Like I said, like just going back home and just feeling weird would have been more than enough for me to stop in the past. That's more than enough to derail most people, including me, <laughs> you know? But I've developed this great routine and this great habit of just writing a little bit every day. So that's why I really just can't get on board when people say they don't have time to write every day. I agree that maybe you don't have time to write 2,000 words a day. I agree that maybe you don't have two hours a day. But you have 10 minutes, and that's literally all it takes. You could do it while you're on the toilet, man. I've been there, I've done that. I've done it while I'm in line for something. I'm just waiting for something. And I pull up my phone and I just get a little bit done. You absolutely can get something done every day. I would never pressure somebody to you know, write X number of words a day, get X amount of stuff done each day. But I will absolutely pressure a person to work every day. I really think that's the bare minimum. And to claim that you can't, you don't have time to do work every day, like that's just lying to yourself, you know? But it doesn't have to be a lot, it just has to be a little. All right, so one other little wrinkle to this I wanted to mention is this is a theory I just had, just today in the shower actually, of one reason why I think working every day can be hard. Like why people can't get over that hump, and I'll use myself as an example, is I think one of these sort of maybe less obvious reasons why it might be tough to dedicate yourself to writing every day is that you've really got to believe you're gonna get to the end. You really gotta believe that this is a project you can complete, and you gotta believe that if you do work every day, you'll eventually get to the finish line. 
Because if you don't believe that or you can't strongly conceptualize of that, then I think you won't have that core, that little ember inside you, that little force that'll make you right every day. It'll all just kind of drift away. It'll just seem like you're trying to force yourself to do work that you don't really believe in for a goal that you don't really believe in. And as an example, so I've brought it up before, but I was working on this documentary. It's this guy, Roger Swan, who he moved to Japan back in the late 2000s to teach English. And he did a bunch of vlogs and then he died unexpectedly. So back in 2010, I made a little audio documentary, a little podcast about him. If you uh, go to keithcourage.com and click on the XO podcast, it's the episode about Roger Swan. And I really liked how it turned out. And it occurred to me at some point, I'm like, well, you know, since I took all the audio from his vlogs, I could add visuals back in and make this into a documentary. And I worked on it a lot over the ensuing years, but never consistently. And I've realized that the reason why I didn't stick with it consistently is because I didn't have a good vision of how this project was going to end or where I was trying to get to. My idea was for it to be an actual documentary. And in my mind, I was imagining film festivals and submitting it to places and all this stuff. And wondering if, uh, because it's from, you know, 2000s era YouTube videos, if the quality would be too low and how I would do all this like stressful stuff that I'd never done before. And I've realized that that, I think, was what was throwing me off, is I was stressing myself out about the end game, about the overall vision for this project. And it was just, it was making me tense and nervous, and I just kept falling off. I just kept not working on it. And I mean, it's the same exact pattern I used to have with writing. Literally, I would just go years and not work on the thing. And it would just be in the back of my head like, oh yeah, one of these days, you know, one of these days I'll do that. But that day was never going to come. <laughs> so then I realized, I know I talked about this once on this podcast, it was when I was still in Vancouver, that I've kind of had a different idea of what to do with these things when they're finished. Because I made this one YouTube video about the comedian Patrice O'Neill that I put up on YouTube in like 2014. And now it has like over 50,000 views and I still get comments on it all the time. And it's like, whoa, cool, like that hit. Like I didn't think twice about it. I just put it up on YouTube. Got all kinds of random shit I've just thrown onto the internet. And that one worked, you know, that one caught on. But that kind of made me realize like, oh yeah, like this is what happens when you're not well known. Like if you're a famous person, and you work on some project, you want the initial release to be as big as possible. You know, it's so hard to get visibility and it's so hard for anyone to notice. You gotta do everything you can so that during that initial release, someone notices and someone cares. But if you're a nobody, it's the opposite. You can just put stuff out there and it's time that will matter. Like nobody noticed that Patrice O'Neill video for the first year or whatever. And just eventually, it just picked up speed, and then the YouTube algorithm picked up on it, and now when people search Patrice O'Neill, it's one of the recommended things, and it just keeps growing and growing. 
So yeah, I kind of realized not only, of course, you should try to do stuff, you know, just for the joy of doing it for your own edification, you know, your own entertainment to try to create these things and make these things. If you work real hard on something and no one gives a shit, you shouldn't stop. You should just make something else. You should just keep going. And uh, also, I guess I just realized like that's, and there's also no other choice. Like that's it. That's how it is if you're just a nobody on the internet. You just gotta put stuff out there and hope that something works. And now that I've had that one example that it happened once, it's like, oh yeah, that could happen again. That's cool. That really does help. In the case of like this Roger Swan documentary, like I'll finish it just because I want to finish it. And I just, I don't feel good about myself that I fucking gave up on it. But I'll put it out there for, you know, for like his family to see or for the people that are on the Roger Swan fan page on Facebook, you know, like that's the real audience. If it's only for them, then it's only for them, you know, like if that's it, then that's it. But maybe it'll grow more from there. Who knows? You know, it could. It's happened to me before. It could happen again. But even if it does happen, it's going to happen over a course of years. You know, I'll put this thing out and maybe four years from now, it'll have some views. It'll have some kind of uh, recognition or something or some following. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Like, that's the other thing about the four-year plan of just putting stuff on the internet and waiting. By then, I'll just be doing other stuff. I'll just have my attention on other things. It doesn't really matter what happens. It'd be nice if it gains some traction, but if it doesn't, oh, I'm just working on something else anyway. Probably none of this is relevant if you're, uh, you know, trying to make money and pay bills, but that has never been, <laughs> you know... I don't know. I guess maybe I should have said that at the start. Sorry if you're this deep into this podcast and you know, I'm only saying this now, but that's really never been the purview of this podcast. While I was working on my Last of Us book, I worked at a cheesecake shop in Vancouver. And like right now, I'm lucky that I borrowed some money from my parents so I can travel around, dick around a bit. But if I didn't have that option, just get a job somewhere else, you know? like. <laughs> I guess with the thing with the money and the art, it's a very similar idea. It's like, if it happens, it happens. That's cool, that's great. But that can't be the expectation. That, if that shouldn't be the goal, because it's extremely unlikely. Wildly unlikely, <laughs> you know? And I think, I think there are ways you could maximize the chance that you could get paid for your art. But it's not going to be the same art, is it? Like, we're not talking about the same thing then. I'm talking about trying to make great stuff, trying to make the greatest stuff you can make that you're the most proud of. It's the best that you can do. Whereas if you get into a situation where you're getting paid for your art, you're probably making Nancy Drew books, you know? You're probably doing corporate design. You're probably not doing what I'm talking about. Really what I'm talking about, I guess, when you boil it down, it's just, it's hobbyism. It's just a hobbyist podcast, really. This is about writing a novel, a fucking kick-ass novel. It's not about how to be successful and how to have money in the bank. <laughs> Maybe someday it'll become that. If I, if I ever pull it off, you know, I'll report. But that's not the aim, that's not the goal, that's not the motivation. So yeah, once I changed my idea of the end game of this documentary, now my new plan is like, yeah, I should just finish it and just put it out and just see what happens. So I had a better overall goal. I had a way better vision for how I wanted things to go. I wasn't apprehensive about finishing anymore. You know, before it was like a nervous idea to get to the end because then 
Then what? Then I got to learn how to be a documentary guy. I don't know anything about that. Now my new plan is just put it out. Just put it on fucking YouTube. The end. Tell some people about it. And that's it. And there's really no stress to that plan. I've done that tons of times. So now that I didn't have that roadblock at the end of the line, now that I didn't have this like weird idea in my brain that was stressing me out about what this project actually is, suddenly I found the daily work just easy to do. I just have been working on it every day. And the exact same thing happened to it that happened with this last chapter of the book is I just do the littlest, tiniest little bit. It's like, okay, let me just watch this section of the documentary. Okay, I'll make some notes. Maybe this song needs to be moved. Maybe some clips here, blah, blah, blah. That's it for that day. The next day, okay, I'll look through my, my B-roll footage and just gather stuff that could maybe possibly be useful for this part. That's it for that day. Next day, I'll place a couple of those B-rolls, put three or four down, see how those work, render it out, watch it, see how it feels. That's it for that day. Repeat ad nauseum. And I just realized the other day, it's almost done. Because it, again, it's like magic. It's like this little magical, you just pick away, you just do a little bit every day. You don't even realize you're working. You're just living your life, you're just doing stuff. I've got all these other things that I'm concerned about at the same time. But every day I put aside a little bit of time to do some writing and a little bit of time to work on this documentary. And just like, you know, just the passage of time. Time is just gonna keep on moving. Your life's just gonna keep on going. And just work just gets done. <laughs> it's like a little snail trail that just goes along behind you. I don't know, it just happens. It just becomes a process, like not, not a big goal, not a big boulder you've got to lift. It's just the process of your life just gets integrated with these, these tasks and they just, they just keep getting finished. Again, I feel like it is like a weird catch-22. It's like not pressuring yourself too much, not putting too much pressure, just doing a little bit every day. I'm more productive than I have ever been in my life. <laughs> you know, It's weird. It's the weirdest thing. Instead of beating myself up because I wasn't doing enough work, now I just really don't do that much work and it adds up really fast. It's fucking weird as fuck. All right, the weather's warming up and there's a getting near, I'm near St. Joseph's Cathedral in Montreal, which is real beautiful. There's a lot of people around. So I think that's enough for today. Since I'm in uh, Montreal, there's this one second cup coffee shop that uh, just plays really cool music. It's just like always playing music I want to hear. I think it's the manager that chooses whatever Spotify fucking, I don't even know what it is that he's playing because he's about my age and all the employees are much younger and he's playing all this music that I like. So I think it's his doing. But there's this band, the Doughboys, that were pretty big in Canada in the 90s. And I was like, holy fuck, the Doughboys. I haven't thought about them in for fucking ever. So I looked them up on Wikipedia, and lo and behold, they are from Montreal, so that makes sense. Montreal's still repping them. <laughs> Some Montreal people who are in their 30s and early 40s still remember the fucking Doughboys. So let's listen to the Doughboys. This is a song called Tearin' Away. This was always like my secret favorite Doughboys song from their album Crush from whenever, I don't know, early 90s? 93, maybe? Wasn't a single, but uh, I just really like it. All right, see you next time. Thanks for listening to this rambly episode. Adios.